Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we want to thank all our listeners for all the support so far and hope the podcast has been really helpful to you on your DM journey. Uh, remember to rate us as it really helps us with exposure and getting the word out there. And check out our link tree at linktr.ee slash dmsdiscuss. We just launched a little Discord community and a TikTok at dmsdiscuss. Uh, so you can follow for more DM D&D content, tips, and tricks. Uh, enjoy the episode and may all your rolls be 20s. Welcome, 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 welcome to DMs Discuss. I'm Mike. I'm Chris. And I'm Scott. Welcome to DMs Discuss, where this week DMs will discuss arcane appraisals spells. This is going to be the first in a series of episodes where we talk through all things arcane spells, magical items, uh, things of that nature. Uh, and for the first one, we're going to talk about spells, our uh, ones that we consider either underused or underrated, overused or overrated. Uh, and then each of us will talk about our favorite spell. Uh, Chris, you want to kick us off? Uh, yeah, I figured I'd start with uh, a bit of an underused spell that I've always really enjoyed, uh, which is Enervation. I know this one is a it's a good spell, but one that often to use is kind of one of those ones where like it's a fifth level. And if they don't fail the save, it kind of like you blew a lot on that one. Uh, essentially what it does is uh, you shoot out a little tendril of inky darkness towards a creature. They have to deck save. And on a failed save, they take 2d8 necrotic damage and it ends. Uh, sorry, on a successful save, they take 2d8 necrotic damage. On a failed save, they take 4d8 necrotic damage. And this is why it may not seem as good for a 5th level spell, because on a fail, 2d8 necrotic damage really isn't a lot for a 5th yeah. level spell. But it's a concentration spell, and if they do fail, you get to use your action on each of your turns to automatically deal 4d8 necrotic damage to the target. Oh, wow. It's like a souped-up witch bolt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, essentially if it leaves the range of 60 feet, uh, it'll also end if there's total cover. And the cool part about this one is whenever it deals damage to a target, you regain hit points equal to half the amounts of necrotic damage the target takes. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So this spell is amazing if you're running like a Hexblade build or something like that. We're not always going to be using your concentration on other things. It can be cast by sorcerers and wizards and warlocks. But I feel like the constant healing and having to stay within 60 feet of them is much better for like a closer range warlock than potentially the other ones which tend to you know, stay a little bit farther back, maybe yeah. not be in the sixth range, and also not have as much of a need to be getting that healing off. Yeah, it sounds like something that'd be really useful for like a Hexblade or like a Bladesinger. Oh yeah, Bladesinger would also be really good. Yeah, I don't see myself using this too much at range, but but even though like uh, that notion of being able to deal out damage and kind of self-heal a little bit, you know, it can be relevant in, in certain fights and uh, 48, I mean, for a fifth level spell, I don't know. I think that seems a bit low, uh, but the additional effect of, of getting to heal off this and on subsequent turns, getting to just action and no save and you can continue to do that damage. Yeah. If you hold concentration on this for, you know, three rounds, that's a good bit of damage. Good bit of guaranteed damage anyways, especially yeah, I mean, with something like. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, especially with stuff like if you pair this with like Mind Sliver or something like that, or or even some of your party members who can uh, affect the saving throw roll so that you almost guarantee this landing. I think it's a good spell. 
yeah, for sure. The damage is a little low, but it's offset by the fact that you also get like basically a free like second level cure wounds on yourself every round, right? If it lands. Yeah. Cool. Would you would you run this spell? Uh, I definitely would. I have. Yeah, I definitely would on a Hexblader Bladesinger, hundred percent. Yeah, I don't see why not. Yeah, I, I think with 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 hex blades and and warlocks in general, I think the limited amount of spell slots, there's really high competition. But um, I don't know that this spell is the most optimal to have on your list. Uh, but you guys know that some of my characters like I don't really care about <laughs> optimal sometimes. So uh, I, I like this. I would run this. Yeah. Sweet. Anything else to say about Enervation, Chris? Uh, no, I think it's a cool spell. People should use it more. I agree. It sounds really <laughs> rad. I think I might take that on my next X-Blade. Nice. Um, next spell we'll talk about. Uh, it's kind of two spells, but I'm just going to lump them together because they're very similar, uh, which would be either like Speak with Animals or Speak with Dead. Now, this obviously has no, you know, arguably absolutely no combat value. Um, and being somebody who plays like martial characters and stuff, um, I normally kind of lean towards these, these combat efficient spells, etc. Uh, but if you're playing a character who's a little more on the RP side, a little more on the, um, adventuring side and, and learning and, and knowledge and those, those sort of themes, I think these spells can be really cool, not only as a player, but as a DM too. I mean, I know there's been times in some of our games where, we have some off the cuff animal voices, which is which <laughs> is super fun. Great. Or yeah, those are those are fun, right? And then also speak with dead. I, I think there's a lot of potential in these two spells for number one as a DM, um, getting to play with these, and number two as a player getting to kind of form relationships or form kind of RP and character development around either you know having animal friends or um being able to consult spirits uh, on occasion so yeah I, I really like this set of spells i think it adds a lot rp wise yeah i love when characters have stuff like uh speak with dead because it gets around the trope of like having to leave like notes laying around like people are stupid like when they kill everybody in a room and then they're like looting around they have to find a note that says what the next thing is going to happen if you have people in your party that use like things like speak with dead speak with the animals um it becomes beneficial because you can use them for exposition too if you know that they're going to do that you can leave it to chance that they'll actually you know like revive whoever they just killed or uh like maybe a prisoner that they find that they can use uh speak with dead on and you can use that for exposition as a dm which is fun yeah absolutely i find also it can be a nice little uh way to give people hints for difficult puzzles if you know you can just be like oh like you know it's like a rat that's wandering through the room <laughs> maybe it knows yeah. what's going on where did yeah. it come from how did it get in here i yeah. i like these spells so much and i i don't i don't necessarily know that any player i mean there's the occasional player that will take something like this because they do appreciate the rp and the flavor aspect of it uh, i know personally this wouldn't show up on most of my spell lists uh, with that being said, as a DM, uh, if there's a story hook or if there's something that allows one of your characters to learn one of these spells or use it once per long rest as a feature, like just give it to them because I think it opens up like, hey, you can cast Speak with Dead once per long rest now because you guys you know, went into a tomb and did this. Um, so you've been infused with that power. And even though it's not like 
you know, a feature feature, just giving your players stuff like this, I think can add so much depth to a campaign. Yeah, absolutely. I love little items like that. For sure. Have you guys had any interesting stories about either speaking with animals or speaking with dead in your campaigns? I mean, well, you guys carry that head around in Strahd for a little bit. He was like oh. one of the advisors <laughs> from the king. That was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I don't think we used to speak with dead to do it, but I do remember that being really, oh, yeah. We carry the head of a, was it an advisor to Strahd? Yeah, it was one of the one of his like old generals. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Speak with animals. Uh, I actually have I actually had this used in my Strixhaven game where they were venturing through the forest. Basically, one of their exams is to um, one of their exams was on owl bears, but one of the students failed really bad and he ended up being able to negotiate more practical exams as mm-hmm. opposed to written. Um, so they're going to hunt an owl bear, and on the way through the forest, uh, one of the characters uh, ended up getting bitten by a snake, uh, like surprise attack from the bush, bit him. He was immune to poison damage, so nothing happened. Um, but he cast speak with animals, started talking to the snake, and he made friends with it. Now this snake is wrapped around his wrist, and he can <laughs> use a bonus action to have it strike. So <laughs> it can lead to stuff like that, which is kind of neat, I think. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah, Mike, what do you got on your list as a either underused or underrated spell? Yeah, so I think the first one was one that I haven't actually used myself before, but that when looking into uh, spells, like when we started talking about this type of topic, creation came up uh, a bunch when I was looking through stuff. And it seems very, very powerful. Um, And it's one that I don't think I've ever seen a player actually use at my table. It's uh, a fifth level spell. And uh, it says that it allows you to pull wisps of shadow material from the shadow fell to create a non-living object within range. Um, Soft goods, rope, wood, something similar. You can use this spell to create mineral objects such as stone or crystal or metal. The object created must be no larger than a five foot cube. And the object must be of a form of material that you have seen before. The duration depends on the object's material. If the object is composed of multiple materials, use the shortest duration. So what it allows you to do is just make any object that you've seen before out of basically any material that you've seen before. Um, and it, it has a lot of practical uses. Um, you could even make like adamantine or mithril armor using this. If you use adamantine or mineral or mithril, sorry, it's only a minute, but if you know you're going into combat right now, you can create mithril, like a mithril breastplate on somebody going into combat and know that it'll be there for 10 rounds. It's not concentration. It takes a minute to cast. Um, but you can do that. You can also use it to like create a ton of gems that all fit within a five foot cube that you can use to pay for something at a shop and then leave. And they're gone in 10 minutes. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. The different <laughs> materials and durations here, are vegetable matter, one day stone or crystal, 12 hours, precious metals, one hour gems, 10 minutes, adamantine or mithril armor or sorry, adamantine or mithril one minute. So I, I think this is there's a lot of shenanigans afoot with this spell, I think. Yeah, this absolutely. raises a lot of really interesting questions. What like a vegetable matter lasts a day, right? 
and you create five feet of like food mm-hmm. and then you eat it. I was thinking you'd be the full for the day. Thing. The next day, would you be like twice as hungry because the food <laughs> would the nutrients also disappear that you've absorbed? It's funny because I was thinking of the exact same <laughs> scenario when I was reading this spell. Like, okay, well, if he uses the feet of town, what happens on day two? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, definitely raises a lot of questions, and I think a lot of that would be up for interpretation. I just like the idea of being able to, like, if you're going into combat and say you had your weapons taken away, walk into a room and you uh, have a minute to like sit in a waiting room waiting for people. You could just craft a five foot cube of objects uh, and get swords or axes or anything that will last you an hour, right? A number of bear traps. (laughs) Yeah, a number of bear traps. If you want to create a bunch of bear traps to fit inside that cube, why not? Probably several million ball bearings. (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh my god could you imagine just getting a five foot cube of ball bearings oh that's a fun one i I think there's a little caveat to the spell um for for some of you thinking well can i use this to create stuff uh you know expensive little things that can be used as a material for other spells uh no (laughs) using any material created by the spell as another spell's material component causes that spell to fail so there are there are definitely some spells that do require, you know, 300 gold worth of diamonds or things like that. But yeah, uh, you can't use this to like make a diamond to then resurrect somebody. But you could you could use this to make a diamond, convince somebody to buy that diamond, take that gold and buy a real diamond. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and then you're good. <laughs> I think this can be this can be abused for some fun uh fun uh, shop shenanigans if your party isn't exactly on the good side um, or your chaotic good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like it has a lot of like kind of varied uses and uh, I haven't seen it used really at all in my games. So yeah, it's a cool spell. And I remember, I remember once Christian, uh, it wasn't the creation spell, but it was something similar where he could create matter. I think it was part of the forge cleric features. Yeah. Uh, but this can lead to some really cool moments, especially with creative players. Uh, some of the things they do create um, is interesting. And even if this spell is used very or is worded, I mean, somewhat strictly, I guess, creative players will find a way to to do things that are. That as a DM, you might go, yeah, OK, I'll allow that. <laughs> I think this spell is one of those spells that just is very open-ended and can lead to a lot of interesting things. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, you got another uh, another underutilized spell for us? Uh, yeah. So one of my favorite ones is Modify Memory and kind of like along the same lines, Gift of Gab, because it was a lower tier one added by Acquisitions Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just the idea that you can essentially undo... Uh, certain party actions. So for those not familiar, uh, Gift of Gab was added in Acquisition Corporate. It's a second level spell. And essentially, it's meant you use a reaction and you reshape the memories of listeners in the immediate area. So everyone within five feet of you forgets everything you said in the last six seconds. And they instead remember the verbal component that you say instead when you cast the spell. Which can be really useful if you're the type of party that tends to kind of like mix party talk with table talk and your DM hits you with like, did you say that out loud? <laughs> I have to be like, uh, get some gab. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. 
Yeah. Can, can I read through Modify Memory? Can I read it out? Yeah, yeah of course. So, because it's interesting, there's a lot of spell text on this spell. Yeah, that and, one's the uh, big brother. That's much more complicated. Yeah, it's it looks quite complicated, and I I know from my history, one very very uh, like classic use of this spell. It was in one of the Critical Role campaigns, and yeah. I don't want to spoil anything, but th- that was a very interesting moment with the spell. But uh, you attempt to reshape another creature's memories. One creature that you can see must make a wisdom saving throw. If you're fighting that creature, it has advantage on the throw. On a failed save, the tar becomes charmed by you for the duration. The charm target is incapacitated and unaware of its surroundings, though it can still hear you. If it takes any damage or is targeted by another spell, the spell ends and none of the target's memories are modified. So here's the fun part. <laughs> While this charm lasts, you can affect the target's memory of an event that it had experienced within the last 24 hours and that lasted no more than 10 minutes. You can purpose, you can permanently eliminate all memory of the event, allow the target to recall the event with perfect clarity and exacting detail, change its memory of the details of the event, or create a memory of some other event. Um, there's some other stuff here. You, you, you get to describe how its memories are affected. It has to be able to understand you, etc. Its mind fills in any gaps. <laughs> so as a DM, it's kind of interesting where if there are gaps, you can kind of fill those in too. Um... And it says it doesn't necessarily affect how the creature behaves, um, particularly if the memory contradicts the creature's natural inclinations, alignments, or beliefs. So you do kind of have to be careful with with what you try to do here. Um, And these memories can be brought back with Remove Curse or Greater Restoration, but um, I think for the most part, if this is done carefully... You really do get to just plant something new. Uh, you get to, I guess, incept away uh, something and, and plant something new, which can be really interesting from a campaign perspective. Oh, absolutely. And also, as a DM, like this spell can be so useful. Uh, a classic one to do is if you ever uh, catch a party member split off from the rest of the group, just have them roll a couple of whiz saves as you place uh, maybe a suggestion or a gauge on them and then immediately modify memory. <laughs> and just send them running home, and you just don't have to tell them what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. It's like, as you're walking, roll a whiz save. It's like, what? <laughs> roll another whiz save. It's like, you go back to the group. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think as a DM, using this spell on one of your monsters or, um, you know, like oftentimes we look at spells, and when I think about spells, sometimes we think about combat spells and what our big bads are going to do in combat, but you know, having Big Bad send somebody after the party with a spell like this, maybe they try to sneak in while they're sleeping and modify someone's memory late in the night and kind of plant this idea in there. I think this can lead to to some fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, or absolutely. perhaps that they, you know, a key underling of theirs was about to get caught and the party finds them with no memories of, uh, you know, a, a critical piece of information. Yeah, exactly. I've I've actually used it before in a campaign to uh, like frame somebody. So they essentially like got into a keep and the the bad guys fled without being seen. And uh, they had cast modified memory on the folks that were being attacked uh, to make them believe that the event had been an attack by a different faction. 
So it like sent the party off on like a red herring for quite some time because they were chasing down the wrong faction. It was great. Uh, Scott, what do you have for us next? You're muted, man. Um, so up next, I was actually eating a dill pickle chip. <laughs> but up next, uh, I'm going to talk about one of the overused spells. And this is why I don't want to confuse overused with overrated. Um, because I think this is a very good spell. I, I don't think it's overrated. I think it's a powerful spell. I think you're going to hear it a lot at the table. And that is Fireball. Uh, now, you know, Fireball is a, a good amount of damage. There's a good amount of damage on this. It is AoE. So as far as being efficient, if there are a group of enemies, this is your go-to. This is your go-to spellcaster damage ability, as far as I'm concerned. So it's a third level evocation. It has a 150 foot range, which is just about anything on any battle map mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. And you get to essentially create a 20-foot radius sphere of fire. Creatures in that make a deck saving throw. And the target takes 8d6 fire damage. Now, this is a third-level spell doing 8d6 on a failed save. Compare that to the fifth-level spell we talked about doing 4d8. I mean, this one packs a punch at third level. Yeah, absolutely. A lo- yeah, a lot of people, this is their go-to. I mean, it's it's a meme, right? Fireball, I cast fireball, I cast fireball, I cast fireball. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the things that's really interesting with Fireball is that it's also a, a point you choose within range. It doesn't say a point you can see within range. Yep. It doesn't say anything like that. So anywhere within 150 feet of the caster, you can create a Fireball. Yeah, I think this is... It has some interesting effects, too, where the fire spreads around corners. It ignites flammable objects in the area that aren't being worn or carried. I think as a DM, you can play a lot with that igniting flammable objects in the area. Um as yeah, you can discourage as... use of fireball by doing that, right? Like if you have people in an area that you tell them is like a very valuable library, they're probably not going to use fireball. As far as I'm concerned, every time someone's fireballs, something should be set on fire. I think that's just realistically how this thing would work. Now, unless you're out in some marsh or some swamp, but if you're in a forest, you're going to start a fire. If you're in a town, you're probably going to start a fire. <laughs> but I mean, this is a go-to spell for a reason. It it packs a punch. It's big. It can be upcast to add a little bit of extra damage, which I generally don't think it's worth it. But as a caster with, you know, if you have access to multiple third level slots in a single combat, you're probably going to be casting fireball a few times. Now, is it a good spell? I think so. I think it's absolutely powerful. But the one reason I don't like it is that I think it just becomes a go to thoughtless I cast fireball. And I think there's a lot more fun to be had with spellcasters than this big AoE damage. Um, and like, that's totally cool if that's your play style and, and you enjoy that. But I think uh, it can take away from a build, in my opinion. Yeah, especially when you consider like the only other spell that's on like the same damage level as it, right, is Lightning Bolt. But that's a line. And how often do you get as many enemies in a perfect line as you can get in a fireball? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I think, you know, the other interesting thing about Fireball, and we see this at our table, if you are a DM and and you are a group who is okay with damaging your party members, there have been Fireballs dropped on top of party members in combat in in our sessions because 
oftentimes hitting four to six enemies with a fireball and hitting one of your party members is still worth it. And it's not positive to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it leads to some inner party like conflict too, which can be really fun at the table, I think. Yeah, that's totally fair. I mean, and if you're an evocation wizard, you don't have to worry about that at all, right? Which is like kind of the beauty of playing an evoc wizard. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if you are a damage-based spellcaster, this should be on your list. I do think it's overused, but I think it's overused because it it is a good spell. I think that it's a very simple, high-damage, large AoE, and it's pretty much the only one of its kind as level. Yeah, it's definitely like a holdover from older generations of the game, right? It's just it's a little bit overpowered, but that's because it is like the quintessential AOE spell. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, I think that's that's good on Fireball. Uh, Chris, or sorry, Mike, uh, you have another overused or overrated spell? I do, actually. For me, y'all know me. I play a lot of a lot of uh, Warlocks. And the one thing that I hate the most about playing Warlock is the expectation of taking Hex. I feel like it gets used a lot. Like, it's one of those things where like, oh, you're a Warlock. You've got to have Hex. But to me, like it's a concentration spell. You have very limited, uh, like spell cast. You have very like spell casting ability. Like limit. Oh my god, I'm gonna cut that and redo that bit. <laughs> no, just leave uh, it in. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, as a warlock, you have very limited spell casting capabilities. Right? Like you have very few spell slots, and the expectation of wasting what ends up becoming a fifth level spell slot to throw a hex on a target to get an extra d6 on every attack even though like it lasts forever and you can move with the bonus action, like it just feels like there are much better things you could use your concentration for. And it feels like it should basically be like a baseline warlock thing. So I don't think that hex shouldn't exist. I just don't think it should cost a spell slot. Uh, and I feel like it gets over like it's on everybody's spell list because the expectation is there. If you're a warlock, you've got hex. I'm going to agree with this. I think, you know, as somebody who takes it on basically all of my Warlock splits, um, I think if you're a multi-classing Warlock, if you're dipping Warlock, this is definitely something to pick up. I think if you're straight Warlock, uh, I'm going to agree with Hex not being worth the slot. I know it's a good spell. I know it's just kind of part of the the flavor of, like, I curse this creature. Um, but oftentimes when I've played Warlocks or Warlock splits, I found that trying to build up my extra damage stuff, like you bonus action hex, and then you have to bonus action hex blades curse, and then you're spending a few rounds trying to like buff your damage. Yeah. When combat usually only lasts three rounds, anyways, three to, three to five. I mean, depending on on your DM, but I think most combats are around three rounds, four rounds, five rounds. So yeah, I'm gonna agree here. I I think it, I think it is overrated and overused and i think the reason for that is just because it's part of the warlock flavor yeah i could agree with that yeah that's totally fair that's exactly why like i think you're expected to take it and you're expected to use it because it's, it's on brand with the warlock but it just feels like a waste of a spell slot if you're not like you said multi-classing and just like using a first level sork slot on it or something if you're burning a like a packed slot at fifth level on a hex just feels wasted I think in early levels, though, I think the reason this is usually taken is because at early levels, 
it is a very good spell. It's it's a single spell slot to add D6, bonus action, move it around on creature death. Um, yep. And D6 at levels 1 to 5 is a good extra bit of damage. Um, especially the fact that if you're using something like Eldritch Blast, and you get multiple beams. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you get to add the D6 to each beam. You do. It's every attack. Yeah, yeah. So it ends up being a little better if you have multi-attacks or or things like Eldritch Blast where you're shooting three beams or etc. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's the, the problem is that like I think it's built with, with Eldritch Blast in mind because the spell itself doesn't scale, right? Like if if like say at fifth level it became two d six at eleventh level it was three d six that becomes more useful, but I think what they're banking on is you having either you're using Elder's Blast so you're getting an extra d six on each of your beams so it's scaling that way, or you're multi you're using extra attack or something like that so it's scaling with your number of attacks. I would like to see hex scale, maybe not two d six etc. But I would like to see hex go something like d six d eight d twelve. Yeah. Yeah, it just it feels underwhelming at higher levels, that's all. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I would even consider I don't know what the rules are like in terms of like rules as written. Um, but I'm pretty sure as a warlock you can swap out when you level up, right? Is that mm-hmm. new rules as written stuff? Yeah, you always could with warlocks. You could switch you could swap out spells as you level. Yeah, like once you're past level five, six, seven, I, I think hex becomes less attractive. And this is probably on my list of like, I'm swapping this out for you know, whatever you have access to. I don't yeah, know if absolutely. Warlocks get synaptic static uh, at higher levels or certain Warlocks do or not. But I, I think there are better options even on the Warlock list. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. What would cool. you take instead of Hex? Like if you are getting rid of Hex, what what's kind of top of your mind? Oh, God. Like, for Warlock, I love stuff like Hunger of Hadar. I feel like it's very on-brand. It's also concentration. So if you're hexing things, you can't use Hunger, right? Like, I feel like there are a lot of other spells you can use. Um, Hunger being my favorite Warlock spell, I think. Well, I mean, other than obviously the the one I'm going to talk about later. Yeah, that's a lot of good stuff. I like a lot of the summoning spells. I always like playing, like, minion Warlocks. Mm-hmm. And like Tasha's and Xanthar's had like a ton of extra ones in there, so you could just take all of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that's that's interesting, right? Like, do you want Hex or do you want to summon summon Greater Demon? <laughs> I, I think that's an easy decision for me. I would want an extra body, extra attacks, extra meat bag for the enemy. I, I just think this I, I think Hex gets outclassed really hard at higher levels. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even like Hunger of Dark is only a third level spell. And would you rather have Hex or like a 20 foot radius sphere of inky Eldritch Void that does minimum 2d6 and usually 46 damage to everything inside it? Yeah, I think it depends on flavor and what you're going for. Yeah. If you are playing a, a blaster lock with just, you know, maximizing Eldritch Blast or you are playing a Hexblade, um, you know, I can see you keeping Hex just flavor-wise, but uh, yeah, other than that, I, I think it gets outclassed pretty hard. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Chris, you got an overused one for us, or do you want to talk about your favorite spell next? Uh, I do have an overused one that I think is a little bit interesting. Is, I think Tiny Hut is a bit of an overused <laughs> spell. It too often is a safe source of respite for 
many characters. And it's one of those things that's like, as a DM, you have to kind of like work around because on one hand, fair enough, it's a legit spell and you have a safe rest. But at the same time, like when you completely take over, you know, the possibility of having an attack, it really makes you have to think creatively on what consequences to any like potential nighttime encounters are if they're just in a tiny hut. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know the spell, I mean, it's a third level evocation. Um, it is a ritual, so it can be yes. ritual cast. You don't even need to spend a spell slot on it. Uh, if you're spending that, you know, 11 minutes casting it, um, it lasts for eight hours. And basically there's an, a mobile dome of force uh, springs into existence around you and above you. And essentially creatures, um, I think you designate creatures that can come into the hut. It's only creatures that are inside it when it's cast. Okay, there you go. So you cast this around your party at night, camping in the woods, and uh, you're totally safe. There's no chance of being, well, let's say very little chance of being attacked. I have found that the best solution to this is simply to have, uh, if they're intelligent enemies, recognize the tiny hut and potentially do something fun like dig out underneath it and build a large fire and just wait until morning. <laughs> or I've had it before of if they go for the classic, you know, like white hut is just have a giant snake of some kind come up to it and curl around it like an egg. Yeah. So th- this, this particular hut, like th- there are some aspects of the spell that as a DM, you could play with uh, the first one being that this isn't an invisible hut. Uh, it is actually opaque from the outside. Yeah. So it can be seen. Um, and if you have enemies that you really want to get at the party, maybe they just have dispel magic. I, I would assume you can just dispel a hut, right? There's nothing in here that I don't. I, I, yeah, you absolutely can. Yeah, dispelling it is the easiest way if they're spell casters. Yeah. I so, find a funny one that barely makes them sweat is if it's like kind of like some kind of like martial mid tier thing, like, you know, uh, hobgoblins or orcs or something. And the pirates has to watch as they slowly begin setting up fortifications and like putting like spike pits outside the, the hut and be like, well, at this point I feel like we yeah. should do something. <laughs> yeah. I think that makes sense to get the pressure on, but, but let's go from kind of a player perspective here. You are spending a spell, not a spell slot, um, but you are sp- spending one of your items on your spell list to take this as opposed to a combat spell or some other utility spell, etc. So should it be powerful? I mean, it is a third, third level spell. So I wouldn't be ambushing and messing with your party every time they cast this. This should provide most of the time, you know, it should provide shelter. That's what the spell is meant to do. And um, yeah, yeah, I don't think as DMs we should take that away. But uh, But I do agree that I can kind of mess with fun things like you know nighttime encounters and things like that yeah totally and also like i feel like people think that it's this impervious thing and my reason i think it's overused so much is because people will like go into a dungeon clean out three or four rooms be like i'd like a long rest and just put up a tiny hut in the corner like nothing's gonna happen to them that whole time i mean you know as a dm it's your prerogative like for the most part if my party did this i would applaud them like, hey, you're setting up protections and you're not just going to sleep in the middle of the dungeon. Um, you know, does that mean that the time you spend in here getting a long rest doesn't affect the outside world? 
no, time doesn't stop because you're in a tiny hut. Yeah. So, you know, reinforcements and stuff like that can happen while your party's resting inside the hut. I do think this takes away from some of those nighttime encounters and, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know, but it's a good spell. Also, if you're a wizard and you happen to have access to Lost Laboratory of Qualish, just take uh, Galder's Tower. It's way cooler. <laughs> True. <laughs> I, I have no clue the spells you're talking about. What is the difference? Uh, this one is same thing. Third level spell, 10 minute cast. Uh, but this one is a two story tower made of stone wood. Uh, the tower, each floor is 10 feet tall with an area of up to 100 square feet. And there's a ladder between it. And there's several options of rooms you can have where it's like you can have like a bedroom. There's a study, like a dining room table, uh, a lounge, an observatory, or just like an empty room. And I mean, like if you're taking a spell slot for somewhere to sleep at night, I think this is way more fun of having like a two story baller tower. <laughs> That's fair. I'm a humble man. I'll, I'll stick to the tiny hut with a small fire in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't let it. I wouldn't let a fire inside the tiny hut. Why not? You got to keep it warm. Does, so no, oh. you, you did, you, know, you, you set the environment of the inside of it and nothing leaves. Right. So you, you just fill in your hut with smoke. Hold on. Creatures and objects move through all spells and other magical effects. Can't extend until spell. There's nothing here that allows you to set the set the yeah, environment inside. Where did you see that? Let me find it. Because I think this could be interesting. Where like, <laughs> I tiny hut and like weather gets really rough outside and the temperatures dropping. Uh, can't expose. Inside the space is comfortable and dry, regardless of the weather outside. Oh, son of a gun. They, they <laughs> wizards, wizards has everything covered. Yeah, wizards thought about it. <laughs> well, I guess you're comfortable inside. But, um, you know, as a spell, like, is this overused? I don't know. I mean, I have it on my spell list for our campaign. I haven't really used it that much, so. Yeah, I think I think it goes. It, it's in the same line with Fireball, where it's overused because everybody uses it, but everybody uses it because it's. Yeah, it's, it's super good. beneficial. It's great. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, alrighty, I'm gonna go on to the next spell if we're good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So here's another overused spell, <laughs> and I guess it's the same reason it's overused because it is good. But as a DM, man, I hate this one. <laughs> Counter spell. I get it. It's fantastic, and big bads have very powerful spells. Mm-hmm. Um, that. You know, if your party succumbs to those powerful spells, you're kind of fucked. <laughs> so counterspell, yeah. I mean, I make a point of taking counterspell on just about any character that has access to it because it is that good. Being to just blank out a DM's big bad ability, it, it's really good. Um, but as a DM, I hate it because it doesn't let my, my big bad do the cool thing they want to do. But it's fun for a player when they get to counterspell some very pivotal things. And if anyone yeah, totally. listening has watched the first season of Critical Role, there's <laughs> some very iconic uh, uses of this. So I think it makes for really fun moments for players. As a player, I love it. As a DM, I hate it. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if you have access to the spell, it should be on your list. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think everybody should use it. But I think also that wizards themselves have understood that this spell is overused. 
And that's why like a lot of the design around creatures and stuff like that in the last, I'd say like three or four source books has been around innate abilities rather than spells. So like, for example, the guys that you guys have been fighting a fair bit in uh, the Wednesday game. Now their main attack is a spell attack. It does like 3d8 plus seven, but it's not a spell they're casting. It's just a melee spell attack. So it can't be counterspell because it's not a spell they're casting, not casting anything. It's just an innate ability. They have to be able to do something. And wizards has done that a lot with creatures in the last few source books. I think to get around this idea of everything being counterspellable. Yeah. And I mean, if you are a DM and you're homebrewing stuff, it's fully within your right to be like this legendary action spell is not a cast. Mm-hmm. It's just that innate ability. Or I'm going to just pull from magic, the gathering, the spell can't be countered. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe your big bad has a spell list and there's a single spell on there that cannot be countered. It's just that powerful. Um, or you could say that, you know, it requires, you know, if countered, it requires this to actually counter it. Um, so I think there's ways to get around this, um, as a DM, I think it's a fine line to walk because if all your big bads have, oh, it can't be countered, can't be countered. A player who takes counter spell is going to feel like crap probably. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. as a DM, too, not being able to do some of these cool story moments or have these cool, powerful spells take effect so that the party can try to overcome them kind of takes away from from the DMing aspect, too. So this spell is kind of a toss up for me. For me, I finally noticed I go with, especially for like if they're fighting a caster, uh, that they would be smart enough to also know about Counterspell. And they have two options, uh, either have minions who can cast counter spell as well to just go start off a counter spell chain yeah, or I mean... <laughs> the fun one that you don't see used as often is if you're fighting them in their lair uh they have glyphs of warding around their their lair that just cast counter spell whenever someone casts counter spell i like that i like having like if you're a wizard who's been studying this for years and years and years you would just have counter spell glyphs of warding in your laboratory in case someone attacked you. I like that, actually. I've never really thought about that, but I, I do like Glyph of Warding uh, counter spells. I don't know if that works. Rules is written. Yeah, but it does. I, it does. You I, can set I the do, trigger. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah. Well, no, I know you could set the trigger on Glyph of Warding. I was just wondering if, like, counter spell is done in reaction to stuff, but I think that makes sense. Um, yeah, the Glyph of Warding trigger would be the counter spell spell being cast. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a fun spell, and I think it can be used both on the player side and the DM side. Um, you know, I was kind of talking about it from a DM angle, having your big bad countered, but sometimes too having your big bad counter spell, a very impactful spell from the party, can really bring that sense of dread on for them. Oh, countering a big spell from the party isn't what brings a sense of dread on players. You know, what really brings a sense of dread is counterspelling healing word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I totally get that. And it's funny because, you know, I'll just, we'll move on. But honorable mention healing word was on my list because of the whole party member goes down. Yeah, I just throw a quick healing word out and they heal and they're back up. Yeah, everybody's uh, chill. It's like, don't worry, I got you. It's just like, I cast healing word across the room. It's like, 
He counterspells. What? Yeah, I, I have a <laughs> I have a lot to say on healing word, and this episode would become three hours if we start talking about healing words. So I think my favorite counterspell was revivify. Oh, ouch! <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how much I've used counterspell as a DM, um, but I definitely a lot of my big bads definitely have one to three legendary resistances on them, um, yeah. just because. You know, if you can't counterspell a charm or an incapacitate or a power word stun, etc., being able to just save um, is just as good from a DM perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, let's move on. Chris, what you got? You got another one for us? Or Mike, sorry. Uh, I've only got my favorite one left. So if you guys have anything else you want to talk about before we get into favorites, uh, by all means. I'm all good. Yeah, I'm good. Let's move into favorites. What's your favorite spell, Mike? Uh, Eldritch Blast. As somebody who plays Warlocks all the time, uh, it's one of those things where, again, it's expected that you take it, but for me, it's not even just the spell that makes it my favorite. It's how much the game revolves around it being everybody's favorite spell. A, it's just fantastic damage. It scales with level like every other cantrip does, uh, but even more so because you get to add your ability modifier to it if you take the Agonizing Blast uh, invocation which everybody should if you're yeah, a warlock I was, I was gonna say hey does everyone want to hear me piss mike off hey mike i'm building a warlock i took <laughs> eldritch blast and i did not take agonizing blast yeah it's absolutely ridiculous to not take it it's just <laughs> so much so much damage you know what uh, they say i sold my soul for 1d10 damage <laughs> yeah for, for those of you who don't know eldritch blast does its base damage uh you do not get to add your charisma modifier but if you take Agonizing Blast, you do get to add your Charisma modifier. So this is anywhere from a plus one to a plus five extra damage per blast. Exactly, per blast. So as you scale and level and the cantrips go up, uh, so does the, the additional damage. But the thing that I like the most about it is how many Eldritch Invocations you can put on an Eldritch Blast. Uh, I play one Warlock that I've been playing for a very long time. Uh, that has basically every invocation you can get on your Eldritch Blast because it makes for great control. Uh, you can use Grasp of Hadar, which allows you to once per turn when you hit with Eldritch Blast, pull a creature 10 feet directly towards you. Um, I like to fly around and pick and drop things uh, using Eldritch Blast, which is very fun. Uh, you can get, I forget, I think it's Repelling Blast. Yes, Uh Anytime you hit a creature with Eldritch Blast, so not just once a turn, as many times as you want per turn when they get hit with Eldritch Blast, you can push the creature up to 10 feet away from you. So the pull is once a turn, but the push is however often you want. Uh, this becomes very handy when you have someone in your party that's like a ranger with plant growth, and you can just cheese greater people through plant growth. Um, pushing and pulling them around inside it is fantastic. Um also, if you want to just be able to hit things from very far away, you can get uh Eldritch Spear, which gives you a 300 foot range on Eldritch Blast. Like, there's just so many modifications for it that make it like a must have for Warlocks that just makes it a great spell. Um, just battlefield control, range, uh, consistent damage. I just, I don't know. It's my favorite spell. I love using it. That's why I play so many Warlocks. Yeah. And I don't know if this was mentioned because uh, my headset kind of died on me there, but uh, <laughs> Lance of Lethargy, too. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You maybe can drop not your speed. as good. But yeah, dropping their speed 10 feet. I mean, if you got as big hulking behemoth kind of running towards the party and they're very slow, but they have a big weapon, dropping their speed uh, 10 feet when you hit with Eldritch Blast can be really useful. And for those of you who 
don't know how Eldritch Blast scales, um, you know, most cantrips, they go from like D6 to D8 to D12 or 2D6 as you level up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Eldritch Blast is one where as you level up, you get additional beams. So you get to make two attacks and then you get to make three attacks uh, with one action. And this can really rack up the damage. Yeah, especially considering you can do some of those things I was talking about with invocations, two different creatures. So like, for example, at each beam can be targeted to different creatures. So if you see a bunch of people on a cliff face with bows and arrows, you can Eldritch Blast one and pull them off the cliff, Eldritch Blast the other and throw them backwards off the bridge they're on. Like, there's so much battlefield control that goes along with it, and you can hit multiple targets in the same turn. Exactly. Like even comboing the pushback with uh, Lance of Lethargy, if you're playing on a big enough battlefield where you can push 10 people, you know, three people 10 feet back and slow them down by 10 feet yeah. every turn. Yeah, that's that, pretty that, good. That can be impactful. And I will say, kind of honorable mention, because I, I do really like Eldritch Blast. I love Eldritch Blast. And my one of my most meaningful characters, Ixie, uh, was a Sorlock. <laughs> so that's a Sorcerer Warlock build. Um, and I was basically a blaster, so I had Eldritch Blast, and very often my turn was quicken Eldritch Blast, I can make three attacks, that's a bonus action, and then action Eldritch Blast and make another three attacks, and with Agonizing Blast, there's quite a bit of, I will say it's probably not the, the burstiest damage character, no, but it's, it's consistent. very consistent. Yeah, very consistent. I mean, oh, yeah. you're making six attacks on a turn. You're going to hit with a good majority of them. And then, you know, with Agonizing Blast and some of the other Eldritch um, invocations around Eldritch Blast, I think Sorlock has been my favorite multi-class to play by far. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I play so many Warlocks. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a fun one. It feels weird casting a cantrip that isn't Eldritch Blast as damage. Yeah. I, I agree. Like, even even if it's on theme, like, even Toll the Dead on a Warlock, like, you know, that, that would be on theme. <laughs> but, like... Just no, feels bad. Just Eldritch Blast. <laughs> exactly. It, it's cool. It's mechanically cool. It's flavorfully cool. And it's mathematically just good. Yeah. You ever wonder about what exactly it is that is different between the deal between a patron and a warlock and like all the divine classes and that somehow only warlock patrons know how to give people Eldritch Blast. <laughs> I think with the whole devil demon, I mean, lore's are, the lore around that is generally you're going to get power and these deals with the devil. But there's also celestial warlocks, which implies that for some reason an angel can give you Eldritch Blast, but the actual god can't. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true that's a good point yeah i see <laughs> i i'm i might get flack for this but i don't and i've played dips in the celestial warlock i i don't get it for me warlocks were always these shady make a deal with a not so up and up um creature um etc and it was this exchange of power right like you give me power and i will serve or you know, help you fulfill one of your goals. I, I don't know that I get Celestial Warlock. <laughs> yeah, but the same thing, just opposite, you know, like in exchange for this power, you go out and do the good goals I have. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they want to, they, there's a demon that wronged them and they were 
you're cast out and they need your help to get back into the good graces by destroying the demon. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, this can all probably be just explained away by, oh, well, that's just the lore. (laughs) (laughs) There's only certain deities that, you know, operate within the celestial warlock realm. And uh, the other deities, yeah, they just don't have the power to give you Elders Blast, period. Yeah, it's just one of those like funny little quirks where like (laughs) back before there was all these alternate patrons and stuff like that, it kind of made sense because it did skew towards the evil side of things. But now like everything's on the table. It's like, well, this is this is a head scratcher. (laughs) Well, I feel like all those other divine people are just getting the power and they're not promised anything back in return. Right. All they do is worship and they get power, whereas you are making a pact with that being. So you get a little bit more. It makes sense to me. Yeah, I think so, too. And I don't know. It's like saying, like, I don't know if this analogy or whatever makes sense, but it's like saying, well, why can't everyone bake a cake? It's like, well, some people don't know how to bake a cake. So some of these (laughs) all powerful gods do not know how to give you the power of Eldritch Blast. That's fair. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, Chris, uh, what's what's your favorite spell? Uh, One of my favorites is Distort Value. Uh, This one came (laughs) out with Acquisitions Incorporated and is an absolute blast of a time for completely ruining the economy of any game that you play in (laughs) (laughs) uh so essentially the way it works uh one minute cast time lasts an hour it's a first level spell which is amazing and essentially you cast an object no more than a foot on the side doubling the object's perceived value by adding illusory flourishes or polishes or reducing its perceived value uh by half as well and essentially if someone's examining the object, they have to make an investigation check against your spell save. Uh, otherwise, they believe it. And of course, this is useful for anyone who wants to sell things and is has a good spell save. Yeah, or, or buy things, right? Like you're in a yeah. shop and you try and buy armor and like... Uh, excuse yeah, me, look at this. There's a crack in it. And you're like, oh, this is a floor model. <laughs> I want this crack. <laughs> Yeah, this is a fun one. I mean, you've used it a few times on Pantalone, I think, and it, it can net your party some decent gold if you're willing to, to uh, you know, stray from good a little bit. <laughs> well, that's why I simply had uh, his alternate perso- personality. It's like uh, Jean-Pierre Richelieu, the, uh, the pencil-mustached importer <laughs> of fine goods. And he would just tell the party, don't worry, I'll go sell these things. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think the party really knew, like... Pantalone would come back with some extra cash and we'd say, okay, well, he's just a really good negotiator, I guess. <laughs> I did love the first time in the party realized I had about 50,000 more gold than anyone else in the party. <laughs> yeah, that character was very interesting. I mean, um, he did con a widowed woman out of some money, I think. Yes. A senile widowed woman. <laughs> yeah, even worse. Um, yeah, but we'll just leave it at that. He was... Quite the character. (laughs) The point is, eventually, when you start selling magic items, uh, you know, early game, when you have a low spell save and you don't have really high ticket items to sell, it's not as powerful. But once you get into the late game and you start having, like, really high spell saves uh, and you're selling magic items that are worth tens of thousands of gold, uh, pulling off of the store value starts becoming a a much more powerful thing in uh, the later phases of the game. Yeah, as long as you can keep finding new people to sell shit to. I mean, why, why wouldn't you like, why wouldn't you be able to, right? Like that's just part of 
if you are playing that sort of character, you're probably going to be moving around a bit with your party. So you, <laughs> you got to be careful. Be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and hey, comp- combine that with the sky itself and you have a uh, never ending supply of merchants who can roll into town. That is why I never sold anything as my actual character. I just invented an identity and that's very way I go. If they started suspecting me, I'd change it. I'd make up a new one. <laughs> yeah. uh, as a rogue bard, I had crazy high performance and deception. <laughs> that's very fair. What about you? Okay. Uh, my favorite here. I mean, I think people who hear it are going to go, well, like, duh. Um, <laughs> but it's the wish spell. And the reason it's a favorite there's there's a few sentimental reasons it's a favorite but for those of you who don't know wish is the mightiest spell a mortal creature can cast uh by speaking by simply speaking aloud you can alter the very foundations of reality in accord with your desires now there's a lot the wish spell can do you can basically wish for anything you want in terms of using this spell if you use it to duplicate an eighth level or lower spell you just get to use your wish ninth level spell slot to cast an eighth level or lower spell. And there are no, you don't have to pay component f- costs. You don't have to have components. Um, the spell takes effect immediately and that's it. You get to cast any eighth level or lower spell. There's also some additional effects you can do with wish. Uh, you can create an object of the 25,000 gold pieces in value. That isn't a magic item. So if you wanted to spend one of your wish spells to, to do that and sell something um you can do that and then go buy some magic items um you can allow 20 creatures that you can see to regain all hit points and you end all effects on them described in the greater restoration spell if there's this big war combat this might be very useful you can grant 10 creatures resistance to a damage type of your choice if you're going in to fight you know a black dragon or a green dragon giving them appropriate resistance that can change a fight you can grant Creatures, you can see immunity to a single spell or other magical effects. I know you guys probably have some big bads. I think like liches, they have like one really bad spell um, mm-hmm. that's like crucial. So if you can uh, basically grant immunity to that, that fight becomes a little more trivial. Um, you undo a single recent event by forcing a reroll of any roll made within the last round. Reality reshapes itself. Uh, you can force the reroll to be made with advantage or disadvantage. You can choose whether to use the reroll or the original roll. I don't think that's kind of that's kind of the most underwhelming effect, I think, in that list. But when we talk about Wish, this spell allows you to be the most creative because you can choose to wish for anything you want, and it's up to the DM how they interpret it. And this has been used a few times in our campaign. It's been used to get us out of a total party kill, uh, casting a teleport spell. It's also been used near the end of the campaign by Ixie to wish for, and I spent quite a bit of time. I told Mike, hey, I'm going to be casting <laughs> Wish. I spent quite a bit of time writing out what I was going to wish for, and I sent it to Mike. And um, this spell is notorious for. It's the be careful what you wish for spell. It It is. And in the hands <laughs> of a DM who is a little more combative and adversarial, Casting wish, you have to be very, very careful how you word things. Now, when I when I cast wish, I kind of had trust that Mike would take that. We were near the end of the campaign. I thought I thought pretty well um, about how I was going to word it. Uh, it ended up being that anyone who wanted a position of power and would use it for uh, you know the good of civilization 
um, would have access to that. And there were some other things there. Um, but I think this spell can be a really... It doesn't get cast often at a table. When it does get cast, it can do some really amazing things. Or it completely it can completely change and break your game if the DM wants it to. <laughs> I think it's just a really fun spell. And being that it's a ninth level, being that it's barely accessed, and on top of it, some of the effects of casting it <laughs> one of the effects is that you may never be able to cast it again there are some rolls that happen and you could cast wish to wish for some non-standard effect or non-eighth level or lower effect but if you do you risk never being able to cast it again so i think people hold on to it a lot um but i think this is my favorite spell just because of number one the utility it brings any eighth level or lower spell you are now a toolbox you have so many things at your disposal. And then the second one is that notion of if you do cast to ask for something non-standard, you better damn well hope you word that correctly. Yeah. <laughs> I love this spell. How do you guys feel about it? I like it too. And I think, you know, on terms of like the idea of like wording it carefully so a DM doesn't push back on it. Personally, my rule in that is like, I'm not very adversarial as long as the wish isn't. Like if you're trying to use a wish to like essentially skip over a large portion of the story we're like aha i wish the big bad was dead or something like that where it's clearly just you know negating the concept of the campaign i'm more likely to look for you know holes and flaws <laughs> in the logic if it's like genuinely to save your party or something useful that isn't just the like you know i wish all of our problems were solved you know i'll, I'll probably let it let it go as oh my last wish in the one shot. <laughs> so Chris ran a one shot where at certain points we would get a magic item. And one of the magic items I, I got as a bonus action. Uh, you know, you touch this thing, you get a magic item and you can bonus action to create that item. I created a luck blade and we were kind of down on our health and things like that. And, you know, this was a, a one shot where we would get to level up every once in a while. Like if we killed certain enemies on the map, we would get to level up in session um, and one of my wishes was, oh, I wish we were level 16 right now. <laughs> and Chris allowed <laughs> it. He's like, okay, fine. Everyone go to 16. Everyone, you know, take your future or whatever. Take your long rest. Um, yeah, this is a funny one for I me. I definitely allowed that to happen because that was the uh, second most powerful item I allowed in that game. The first being the antimatter rifle. <laughs> <laughs> i would yes. rather have given you two luck blades in retrospect <laughs> yeah that antimatter rifle is a little crazy but um yeah I, I just really like this spell i think at our tables this spell has been very impactful i personally also enjoy like the negative consequences to using it in the other way are also really fun even if you can still recast it the fact of like you have to consider you have to look after the character who did cast it if they use it for something else because you know you take a d10 necrotic damage per spell level and your strength drops to three for 2d4 days so yeah. you know you got to take some time off after you use a wish spell <laughs> yeah. oh yeah depending on the timing too i remember being given a belt of giant strength after cashing casting wish because you know my i was so weak and walking around very weak and somebody's like here take this belt of giant strength but yeah this is one that I think more players should cast this without using an eighth level or lower spell. Like I think more players should just kind of try to word something fun and work with their DMs to, to, to work through something like that. 
uh, because even like wishing the big bad was dead that's that can be interesting like that can have positive effects and it can have negative effects while they're dead and now because they are some you know evil god resurrects them and gives them additional power so (laughs) i would say as a dm like if a player is casting wish try to work with them it's a big spell it's a big moment and i would say err on the side of making it fun for the player when it comes to the spell i know i was shitting bricks when i cast it i didn't know (laughs) what you're gonna do with my wording as it should be yeah it was uh I, I'm not even kidding. I like stayed up uh, for a few hours at night and I was rereading it and I was like editing it. And then I think I sent it to I think I might have sent it to Matt or I, I sent it to, to Mike at first. And I, I had to edit it after. Go, no, 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 Mike, relook at it. I edited it. You look at so, it again. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is a fun one. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it for our first uh, edition of Arcane Appraisals. eh? Yeah, th- that was fun. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed that conversation. We're going to do more of these for sure. Uh, as always, if you need to slide into a DMs DMs, you can DM us on Insta, Twitter, or Facebook at DMs Discuss, or hit us up via email at DMsDiscuss at gmail.com. And you don't need to use your wish and risk never being able to cast it again to find out when we have new episodes. Simply subscribe to us in your favorite podcatcher app. As always, check the show notes for links and other fun stuff. We'll catch you after a long rest. <laughs>